It's a joy to be with you this morning, and I also want to thank you for praying for me last week. I kind of felt like, even though it was raining and fairly miserable coming out this morning, I still felt like singing up from the grave he arose, you know. It's, uh, it feels good to be up and in circulation. I thank you. This morning, we're reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. You remember now the Old Testament text that Deb read was taken from Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes. And it's a, it's a moral teaching about the vice of greed, and it's decrying that. And now Jesus is flipping the side of the coin, and he's speaking about the virtue of giving yourself away, charitable living. Look at what he says, beginning with verse 22 of chapter 12 of Luke. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life's span? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. Seek his kingdom first, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This morning we're thinking about the second topic in our series, Vice or Virtue. And I want to say... The seven deadly sins was originally meant to be that corpus of teachings that taught about the weakness in the human soul after the human being broke fellowship with God. There were seven vices that seemed to be endemic to all humanity. And Scott spoke last week about pride. You remember the scripture says that pride goes before the fall. Now this is just a question because I know there, how many here have any Roman Catholic background? Raise your hands. Probably have several, don't we? Do you remember uh, the seven deadly sins by memory, anybody? Hmm? Don't worry, me either. And I, I have a PhD in the subject and I don't remember. So you're, <laughs> you're not getting any bad grade for that thing. I, matter of fact, I I kind of am curious the 
look and see who the first person is that raises their hand on that, you know, uh, who remembers those things. But at one time, they were seriously a very important part of teaching the history of the Christian faith. What takes God's place in our lives that's designed only for Him? And so they taught there are seven categories of things that displace God. And the one we're thinking about today is, is greed. Now, there's a second reality, which is a flip side of the coin, the seven deadly sins. Because I, I do know it's a little morose, although it's amazing how popular these teachings have become in the last uh, five years again. There's been a real resurgence of people wanting to look into such things. As a matter of fact, there's a contemporary uh, singing artist out right now. If you go over to ShopRite, you'll see a big poster and she's doing a concert and drama on the seven deadly sins. People want to know what is it about human life that is deadly to us and what is best for us. So the church came up with seven virtues for living that by grace through faith is meant to be God's medicine, each one for one of the deadly sins. So the good news of the message today is that for every vice we talk about that could be perilous to a human heart, God has a means of grace, something to give to you that is the counterpart that is meant to keep you on the, the right track in life. So that's the good news of the gospel. So notice, first of all, what Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes. Maybe I'll get there by the time I'm halfway through the sermon, right? That's a remote text, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He says, the one who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. Why? Because this is vanity. The one who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Believe it or not, I ran into somebody that I had a very close relationship with in life that was very, very, very wealthy. His name was Joe. He's been in heaven for several years now. I used to call him Papa Joe. He was, uh, he was a great life friend for me. And Papa Joe had about three-quarter of a billion dollars in the bank. And uh, he owned the largest bus company in the world. And Papa Joe said, Ron, man, I wish my life was like yours. I wish we could trade places. And I have to confess, I kind of wished we could too, you know. Uh, I, he, he saw my life as a great as, as, as something great, you know, and maybe even the grandiose. And I, I saw his life is pretty, pretty extra special too, you know. I thought maybe we could trade for just a week or something like that, you know. But uh, he asked if I would begin to pray with him because he had a, a worry. He was worried about what statistics were saying about wealthy families and how they were losing intimate relationships between the parents and the children and the siblings between one another. And how life uh, being lived very, very uh, wealthy uh, really created 
certain catastrophic liabilities. And he showed me a book that they were studying. He was taking his family together for what they called wealth counseling to try to avoid these things. And so I was at a place called Indian Springs Camp, and every day I had a prayer time uh, in the tabernacle at a, at a prayer rail like this with Papa Joe. And he brought his wife, Marilyn, who is also in heaven now, uh, with him to pray, and I knelt on one side of the altar. And I heard the prayers that they prayed for their children. And they were praying right down the outline of the book. How the children wouldn't remove themselves from others that, that didn't have the same amount of wealth they did. How they wouldn't have calloused hearts. How they would be sensitive. They even went so far as to pray that each child would accept for himself or herself the gift of, of, of enjoying the wealth God gave them. And by the way, may I, may I say this? There is nothing I've read in Scripture today that says wealth itself is a sin. But it's the arrogance, it's the self-centeredness of the person who accrues wealth and pursues wealth as a priority versus the kingdom of God that seems to be the trouble in life. So don't leave this morning having heard, you know, the pastor say, oh, it's, it's wrong to have riches. No, God chooses some people to have incredible wealth. Solomon was one such person. But what a tragedy when human beings begin to rely on what's in the bank rather than what's in their heart and what's in their image. You see, stamped on the image of every human being, whether one acknowledges it or whether one doesn't acknowledge it, is the very image of God. God has made you to be like Him. And when we're not living into that, our life becomes restless. Our life becomes disenfranchised from God's pattern for us. It becomes meaningless. And so Solomon, that man that was gifted with wisdom, also had incredible, incredible riches. He said the money can't do it. The riches can't do it. They can't bring a person satisfaction. I never knew that until I heard a godly mother and father who were wealthy kneel down and pray that the demise that happened to so many families of wealth wouldn't happen to their family. And it sensitized my heart. You see, the Greeks used to love to fabricate stories to teach about the virtue. You remember the myth about King Midas. Nathaniel Hawthorne brought it back to life and and put another twist on the myth. Midas had a great desire in his heart to pursue wealth. And he even had this inner desire that he could have what now to us has become known as the Midas touch. Everything that Midas touched could turn to gold. He thought, oh, what a world that would be if I could just uh, touch it and all of a sudden it's gold. Have you ever stopped to think it's really hard to bite into a Big Mac that way? <laughs> Serious. He got to the table, and even food that was meant to bring nourishment, he touched, and it turned into gold. 
You see, you can't eat gold and be sustained in life. And then, not in the original myth, in classical times, but in our time, Nathaniel Hawthorne, at least uh, those who had the privilege of living subsequently to his writings, saw that that day when even the tender love between uh, father and daughter was contaminated because King Midas went to embrace his daughter and when he touched her to his horror, she turned to gold. That was meant to be part of the moral teaching to humanity that there are things that are so precious in life that go far beyond gold, far beyond silver. What good would it do to have the Midas touch if that which you love is part of the flesh of your flesh and bone of your bones, the tender relationship between a father and a daughter? I have that relationship. And all of a sudden it would become frozen and static, a statue of gold. There's another Greek myth that that taught about being greedy and wanting still more. It was a, about a guy named Daedalus. How many here remember the story of Daedalus? Anybody? Raise your hand. Anybody? Oh, yeah. I'm really identifying right down Broadway. No, no. I, I didn't think. Not, not many people read classical Greek stuff anymore. You used to have to read it a lot more in school. But if I give you a hint, you're going to know. Daedalus, Deb, tell them what Daedalus did. That's right, the original wingman. He was imprisoned in a labyrinth of his own making, and King Minos was holding him prisoner. He and his son. His son's name was? Yes, see, you've all jumped in now, you're there. Icarus. I want these ladies to have a star on their forehead at the end going out. You you got extra credit points. Icarus was a son. Daedalus was a great uh, engineer of things. And he developed these wings of feathers and wax to a light wood and he wanted to try them out and by that innovation he and his son flew out to what would have been safety. The father only gave his son, Daedalus, gave to Icarus his son one admonition. What was it? Don't fly too close to the sun. But Icarus felt like busting loose. I mean, talk about the wind beneath his wings. That guy got up and went like a bird. And instead of thinking safely, he thought about his own self-indulgence. I can fly higher than the birds. And he did. And the teaching of the myth was that he forgot the teaching of his father and the wax melted and he fell to his death in the sea. Do you know that the book of Proverbs says God's word is the teaching of not just your father but all of the fathers combined in the wisdom of the word of the Lord. How to teach young men and young women and boys and girls how to teach them to live their lives. Do you know the scriptural pattern to uh, get away from greed is the virtue of charity? Listen, I want you to at least remember that it's deadly 
to have lives that are filled with greed. More, more, more. But the more we're pursuing isn't what brings us happiness according to the Word of God and according to the testimonies of so many people who have been there. The Word of God teaches that the reward in life is Jesus himself. We used to sing sometimes that chorus, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you're more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds. And nothing I desire compares to you. You see, when greed is at the center of our life, God gets displaced from the center of our life. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther, that, uh, that great Protestant reformer, the father of the Protestant Reformation, he defined sin as a heart that is, in the Latin, ad curvatum se. It means a heart bent in on itself. The definition of sin for Martin Luther, that first Protestant teacher, was a heart bent in on itself is sin. You see, when we're at the center of our life and our pursuit of what we can materially gain is at the center of our life, then our lives get self-absorbed and we become primarily consumers. So what is the virtue that helps us out of a destructive life like that? Jesus said, well, the virtue is you don't have to toil for yourselves. You don't have to worry for yourselves. Trust in me. I'm the Lord. I made you. And when I'm at the center of your life, you then become kingdom people. And when you seek the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, God will take care of you. And then he threw out this example. Which of you, by worrying, can add anything to your life? Boy, isn't that the truth? I, I've read it. I'll say, amen. You go for it. That's the word of God. And then if my daughter happened to come home late with the car, I worried to death. Wow. My baby girl that's 27 will never forget when she got home from a graduation party at 3.30 in the morning and dad was sitting right by the door. We had us a little come to Jesus talk down there. <laughs> you know what she did the next morning? She said, dad, after sleeping on it, you must have been worried to death. I wish that I had called you and mom, but I thought you knew graduation parties went late. But you see, the real problem wasn't that I couldn't trust her. My real problem was I thought by worrying, I could get her safely home in the car, but my worrying couldn't bring her safely home in the car. And instead, I let the paranoia of my own fear have a place in my heart that was designed for trusting in God for the well-being of my daughter. You see, the opposite of living in greed is living in charity, a charitable life. I want to give you a great example. The best definition I've heard of charity is self-giving love. You invest something in your life. 
Monday morning, I came into the office after a week of being uh, down and out. Man, it was miserable. But when I got to, to, to my desk on, on Monday morning, I had one of the little connect cards you have in your bulletin. And uh, one of our beautiful little girls, Ben Morgan's daughter, Lizzie, had written me a little note. Lizzie Morgan said, I got to church today and I was sad because I heard Pastor Ron was sick. I like Pastor Ron. Tomorrow I'm going to draw him a picture. Another one of our pastors was leading. His name is Pastor Scott. I like him too. <laughs> I want to say this. That's the perfect picture of charity. Self-giving love. When one of our little ones takes time to invest the fact that you're cared for, you're loved, you're missed, and they were going to draw a picture and letting the pastors know that uh, we're in the heart of a little girl. I want to tell you this. That's a far picture from dads turning their daughters into gold. The real gold is daughters who have the charity of Jesus Christ. They're solid gold to their church, to their parents, and to their pastors. And then here I have, uh, well, it's in here somewhere, at least it was when I stood up this morning. There was a picture that uh, also one of our little girls drew for me last week and said, I hope that uh, you have a nice Valentine's Day. Charitable giving. So it builds virtue in our lives. Rather than vice, wouldn't you rather be a virtuous child of God? Wouldn't you like to see the kingdom principles coming through you? Wouldn't you like to see the love like the little child coming through that builds you up, that brings a smile, that puts something warm in the middle of a life that can be oh so cold? Here are five things that you can do leaving church today that can help build the virtue of allowing Christ to use you to be like God who so loved the world, he what? He gave his only begotten son. He so loved the world, he gave. How can you so love one another and God's world that you can be charitable people, not driven by the vice which is part of the destruction of humanity that cannot and will not bring happiness, but rather driven by the joy of the Lord being your strength. Here are five things you can do. One, practice something this week that is rooted in self-denial rather than self-fulfillment. Whether it's to skip a lunch and take time to pray for all the people you know are needing prayers. Or whether it's to get up a half an hour early so that you have time to read your Bible or you talk devotionally with God. Or maybe it's to stop reading your newspaper and write a, a little note to your loved one to say, have a good day. But practice something that denies placing you at the center and places someone else at the center. Practice self-denial, point one. Point two, take the disciplined approach to life. We think that the greed that was evident between the tortoise and the hare is it. The hare could man run for it and go for the gold. And the old tortoise was just that plotter 
one foot in front of the other. But who got to the finish line first? The tortoise through his discipline. One certain step in front of the other helps you get to a new place. Take the disciplined approach to life and do what is right. Number three, practice weekly acts of giving and sacrifice to help someone else. Practice it weekly. Pick somebody today in the afternoon as you're reflecting maybe on the Word of God as it came to you. And who is somebody that could really use an act of kindness? Maybe somebody that's just lost, lost a loved one or somebody that's in a hospital today that could appreciate a call or somebody you know that uh, would love to hear from you. Maybe it's calling one of your children or even a, an aging mother or father. Practice and act this week of giving to someone else. Number four, make your church time the priority. You know, the church and spiritual things often are the first things that get bumped when we get busy in the workaday world. I can't come to church because I have this thing now, or that thing, or this thing, or that thing, or this thing. And what always gets bumped is your church time. But remember, Jesus says the way to virtue is put the kingdom of God first and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I couldn't believe that when I was uh, studying in school. It got time for final exams and there was a special activity at the church. And I thought, if I go to that activity, that is a sure way I'm going to flunk my exam tomorrow. But I heard God speaking to me in my heart about it. And I thought, oh, great. Yeah. I mean, Lord, I don't mind being religious, but do I have to be a religious flunky? But God really impressed my heart that he wanted me to go to the Methodist church that night. There was a revival speaker. You know, that revival speaker spoke about a topic in my heart that I was so hungry to get right with God. And that night, at the end of that service, I was able to surrender and lay my sins on Jesus Christ. And he satisfied my soul with such a new joy. I was able to study because of the motivation of being set free. And it gave me a rush and it kept me alert. And I still flunked that test. No, <laughs> that's, that's not it. I did okay. But I did better than okay for one reason. I got a decent grade on the test but I also got right with God because his kingdom was in the midst of it so make your church time the priority and bump other things before you bump your spiritual things and then finally and this will just exactly sound like your pastor at Trinity won't you increase your charitable giving of your tithe and your money to the Lord Give the extra to God and see how God blesses you. The Bible says when you take time to give that way, He gives a blessing to you that is poured out and running over. Why? Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. Daedalus would tell you, 
It's no good to soar with the eagles if you plunge to your death. Midas would tell you, pursuing more gold can't ever replace the joy of reaching out and touching the loved one God has gifted you with. That's a vice that'll bring misery. But the virtue of being able to surrender yourself to God and to your world in self-giving love is the kind of charity that changes the world and changes you by the grace of God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.